In 2007, Kamisha Block was one of nearly 900 U.S. soldiers killed in Iraq. But Kamisha was not killed in combat. Her family was told her death was an accident. Kamisha was a casualty of friendly fire. But her death was much darker than that and has forced us to ask, could it have been prevented? I'm Charlie, and welcome to Crime Lines. All right, we are going to jump into tonight's case quickly because it is unlike anything I have ever covered before. I want to thank Shanta Block, Kamisha's sister, for reaching out to me and being so open in telling her sister's story. Kamisha and Shanta grew up in Vidor, Texas, which is a city of about 11,000 near Beaumont. Kamisha was born in August 1987, and it was almost exactly two years later that Shanta was born. So the two were close growing up the way sisters close in age are. Kamisha went to a special high school called AIM, Achieving Individual Mastery. It's a program for students who do better in a non-traditional program. It's not an alternative high school that the school sends you to because they can't meet your needs in the mainstream school. AIM is a program you apply for. Looking over the program, it's obvious that some kids who do great in school would bomb this program because it requires the student to be committed to a significant amount of independent study. They get assistance from a teacher when they ask for it. So they also have to be go-getters and self-advocates. Students can work as quickly as they want to finish courses early, but they cannot fall behind. Once they complete a class, they move on to the next one. I know it may seem weird on a true crime podcast to outline a random school's curriculum, but I think the fact that Kamisha fit this program tells you what you need to know about her. She was an outside-the-box thinker. She was a go-getter. She was ready to take on challenges. After Kamisha graduated high school in 2005, she started waiting tables to earn money. She had a lot of ambition, more than Vidor, Texas could meet. She had dreams of becoming an FBI agent, and she opted to enlist in the military. Her father had served, and the military was a source of pride in the family. Kamisha supported the war efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan, and she believed in the mission. There is also a very natural path from military to law enforcement, particularly since Kamisha was going into the military police. The Army held another draw, though. It would take her out of Texas. Now, she loved Texas, but she was ready to explore the world. There was definitely some wanderlust there that can overtake a person. I think regardless of our age and life experience, we can identify with that. Kamisha's family supported her decision in the big picture, but they were scared. Her mom told Maxim Magazine that she cried for days when Kamisha said she was enlisting. You're sending your heart out onto a battlefield. It's terrifying. 
At 19, Kamisha was sent to Seoul, South Korea. This was probably a relief for her parents, I'm guessing. South Korea is pretty safe. And Kamisha loved it. It was her first trip outside the U.S., and Seoul is a big city. So it was pretty much new experience after new experience. Though it wasn't a combat zone, Kamisha was injured in Korea. As you can imagine, breaking up fights between drunken soldiers does run some risks. But all in all, Kamisha liked her job. She knew she was getting excellent training for her future in law enforcement. In December 2006, Kamisha was sent back to the U.S. She was actually sent back to Texas. She was stationed at Fort Hood, which is about four and a half hours from her family in Vidor. For those who don't know about Fort Hood, it is huge. It's pretty much its own city. It has over 50,000 people living there. But the main reason for Kamisha to be at Fort Hood was for training. She was being deployed to Iraq in May 2007. One night during her training at Fort Hood, she went out dancing with some fellow MPs. As she left the dance floor, a man named Paul Brandon Norris approached her and introduced himself. The two talked for about half an hour before they left the bar together. So let's talk about Brandon Norris. He was from Alabama. He was about 10 years older than Kamisha. He enlisted in the Army right out of school, like she did, but back in 1995. He served three short tours to Bosnia. He did a tour in Afghanistan, and he had been deployed to Iraq twice already. In 2002, right around Christmas time, his family suffered a devastating loss. His two sisters were in a car accident. Their car was struck by someone driving under the influence. This left Brandon and his brother as the only remaining siblings. At some point, Brandon was stationed in Belgium, where he met his wife, Eva, and together they had a daughter in 2003. But by the time he met Kamisha in early 2007, the two were already separated and heading for a divorce. However, according to Brandon's mother, they kept things amicable, largely for the sake of their daughter. By real-world standards, Brandon was free to date around since the marriage was over, aside from some paperwork. But the military saw him as still married, so any dating he did would have to be discreet until the divorce was final. But there was another issue with any relationship he pursued with Kamisha specifically. He was a staff sergeant and she was a specialist. I believe that's a three-rank difference and a major no-no. Honestly, any rank difference is a no-no. Those of a higher rank cannot date those of a lower rank in the Army. So the relationship that did bloom between the two was supposed to be on the double down low, except it wasn't. Brandon apparently didn't know the meaning of the word discreet. He wasn't openly dating Kamisha. He wasn't holding hands with her or anything that obvious. But he'd make excuses to see her. He would be seen talking with her off alone. 
And it was pretty obvious what was going on to everyone around them. And a lot of those people were just looking the other way. Kamisha did talk to friends about Brandon, and at first she seemed really into this guy. She didn't date a lot in high school by choice. She was very picky when it came to who she dated. But she liked Brandon enough to bring him home to meet her parents not long before she left for Iraq. When Kamisha and Brandon pulled up to the house, Brandon stayed in the car while Kamisha went to the door. And that put her parents off a bit. It seemed a little rude he wouldn't even come up to the door. But they all got in the car and went to a restaurant to have lunch together, get to know him, and Brandon was standoffish. He'd answer questions asked directly to him, but otherwise, he didn't seem to have anything to say. This was the one and only time they met him, and they were not impressed. And that's without knowing the whole story. Kamisha had started telling friends that Brandon was aggressive with her. A friend later told Kamisha's parents that while at Fort Hood, he grabbed Kamisha by the throat and pushed her up against a wall. As often happens, Kamisha kept this from her parents. Obviously, the root of the aggression laid solely within Brandon's brain, but what he blamed it on was jealousy. One story soldiers at Fort Hood have told was about a time when Kamisha was lifting a box into a truck. She was struggling with it, so someone went over to help her. As this other soldier, a man, was trying to grab the box that Kamisha was holding, he touched her breast. It's characterized as brushed her breast. Um, It's not like he grabbed her. Brandon was there, saw this, and flipped out. He grabbed the other soldier by the collar, screamed at him while yelling at Kamisha as though she did anything wrong. And looking back now, it's very clear that this was a volatile relationship. There was emotional and verbal abuse in full swing at this point, and it had escalated into physical violence while the two were still stateside. In May 2007, Kamisha went to Iraq, leaving Brandon in Texas. He was also being deployed, but not for several more weeks. So Kamisha was in Iraq, stationed with her company at Camp Liberty, and she was working as a driver. With roadside bombs being a very significant hazard, being a driver was a very dangerous and very stressful job. Brandon was still in Fort Hood until late June. Over Father's Day weekend in mid-June, he went to visit his family in Alabama. It was a weekend to say goodbye to everyone before he deployed again. His daughter and estranged wife even joined him there. His family knew he had a relationship with Kamisha, and he also told them that they were not technically supposed to have a relationship, but he really was in love. Somewhere around the same time, Brandon told a relative that he barely slept, generally got two hours a night, and this insomnia had been going on for more than a year. So quick recap here. He served three tours to Bosnia, a year in Afghanistan, 
two deployments to Iraq and another coming up. He had angry outbursts and he wasn't sleeping. You don't have to be a psychologist to flag this guy for possible PTSD. In late June, Brandon landed in Iraq and was stationed at Camp Liberty where Kamisha was. Kamisha was working with her unit just fine, but days after Brandon showed up, she was transferred over to Brandon's squad. There were only 10 people in that squad, so we're not talking a large group of soldiers moving in and out regularly. Brandon had just gotten there and Kamisha got moved to him. Why was she moved? It is completely unclear. From the papers that Kamisha's sister Shanta sent me, there is some vague explanation about we move people around all the time because of new soldiers arriving. Okay, that makes sense. But it's a huge coincidence, to say the least, that Kamisha ended up with Brandon when his squad was so small. And the rumor was he pulled strings to get Kamisha moved closer to him. Brandon's feelings for Kamisha were going past the line of obsessive. Brandon didn't have the power himself to move Kamisha or to order her moved. It's not like he signed the order. Someone else had to, which means he either manipulated someone into thinking this was a good idea, or the person who moved her knew what was going on and did some good old boying of the situation for Brandon. I mean, we have to remember this relationship is a hard and fast no. Anyone above Brandon who knew about it and didn't do anything about it was complicit in the rule breaking and could get in trouble. And that matters in this case with what is to come. So, just like in Fort Hood, their relationship was a poorly kept secret on Brandon's part. He did the same thing he did in Fort Hood. He kept finding excuses to go see Kamisha, and it got to the point where other soldiers started going up the chain reporting it. Everyone who has now said that they told someone about what was happening between Brandon and Kamisha, either saying they had an inappropriate relationship or saying they believed the relationship was abusive, Everybody across the board have said they felt their complaints were being blown off. In calls home, Kamisha told her sister Shanta that she was trying to end the relationship. But let's look at this. She was in a 10-person squad unit with him. Even if she wanted to break things off, how was she going to get away from him? Because of the prior abuse, she had to be worried about what he would do after she broke up with him. We're talking about someone who is definitely armed. The U.S. government is arming him. They are going out on missions together where they have to be able to trust each other in a dangerous situation to keep each other alive. She had to have been terrified to break things off with him. It probably seemed safer to just let things slide for a while. But Kamisha was also telling friends she was feeling trapped and that while Brandon never hit her, he did get physical with her. Of course, her friends were worried that things were going to escalate even more. 
and they encouraged her to break things off with him and maybe try to get herself moved away from him. On July 23rd, someone from the platoon went to a first sergeant to complain that Brandon was treating Kamisha differently than the rest of the soldiers. But instead of reporting abuse, which is what soldiers who knew Kamisha well would do, this person was complaining that Brandon was favoring Kamisha, and he and others thought there was an inappropriate relationship between the two. But he didn't have any specific information. He hadn't seen them kiss. He hadn't seen them hold hands. It was just this vague idea that Brandon was favoring Kamisha, and he felt it was pretty clear what was going on. So Brandon got pulled in twice that day by higher-ups and confronted about this accusation that he was having a relationship with Kamisha. He was reminded that the relationship would be against the military code of conduct and it would not be tolerated. Further, he was told that senior leaders had seen him and Kamisha talking alone late at night and that he shouldn't even be hanging out with her even if there was no relationship. And Brandon denied there was a relationship. He said, no, I'm not dating her. And he was told basically, good, keep it that way. He was warned that the leadership would be keeping an eye on the situation. Now, this would have been a great time to move them apart. Camp Liberty was one of the biggest overseas posts in decades, with plenty of room to move them very far apart. But that did not happen. Brandon had a lot to lose if the relationship came out. He could have been discharged. That would be a less than honorable discharge, which would put his benefits in jeopardy. He had served for over a decade in the Army. He had gone on a number of deployments, which was difficult on him and on his family. He had, in his view, given a lot. He would have lost a lot of those benefits, including his GI Bill. But he also had this obsession with Kamisha. So for some reason, He couldn't let go of either the army or the relationship. In early August, which would have been a week, week and a half after he was told to stop hanging around Kamisha, Brandon saw Kamisha talking to another soldier, again, a male one. He made a beeline for her and began yelling at her. He grabbed Kamisha by the arm and yelled something like, what are you doing with him? Kamisha yanked her arm away and she was trying to get away. But Brandon just kept yelling at her and told her don't walk away when he was talking to her. This type of behavior wouldn't be okay under any circumstance. So even if Brandon was treating her just like any other soldier, even as a higher rank, he couldn't just grab someone the way he was grabbing Kamisha. So the other soldier Kamisha had just been talking to said that to Brandon. He said, you can't grab her like that and Brandon yelled at him to stay out of it. Maybe a week after this incident, a friend of Kamisha's contacted her platoon leader. This friend had heard enough, had enough, 
And he told the platoon leader that Kamisha was having an against-the-rules relationship with Brandon Norris, and it was a volatile one. The platoon leader said he hadn't heard that there was a relationship, but he would investigate. Here's an issue with the documents. The names, aside from Kamisha's and Brandon's, were redacted. So it's not exactly clear who said what and who did what. But I can't imagine the platoon leader had no idea about a suspected relationship when Brandon had already been warned about it a few weeks before. In the middle of August, Kamisha called home and talked to Shanta. They spoke over the webcam, which Shanta had just gotten set up, and Kamisha was able to see her baby nephew for the first time, not just a photograph. And this was a pretty big moment for her. He was just two months old, but it, like I said, Shanta had just gotten this webcam. Kamisha wished Shanta a happy birthday because it was her birthday really soon, and the two just caught up the way sisters do. Later that day, Shanta went to her parents' house. She was going out to celebrate her birthday, and they were going to babysit her son. She visited with them for a bit, and then she got in her truck and headed out. But as she drove down the road to get out of the neighborhood, she saw a car coming down the street with two men in uniform. Her parents lived on a dead-end road, and there was no one else in the army on their street. So Shanta turned her truck around and went back to her parents' house. She hopped out of the truck without even turning it off and saw one of the soldiers was carrying a Bible. And that's when she lost it. The men told Shanta's parents that Kamisha had died after being shot once in the chest by friendly fire. Their mom started screaming. Their dad was crying, which is the only time Shanta has ever seen him cry. And the family spent the next few days doing what every soldier's family fears doing. They planned her funeral. It took a few days before Kamisha's body made it to Texas. It was first moved from Iraq to D.C., where she was dressed in a dress uniform. Then they sent her on to Texas, completely dressed and prepped for burial. The family arrived at the funeral home first for a private viewing before other friends and extended family came in. Shanta, though, she could not go in. She was 18. Her sister was in there. It was just too much. She told her parents to go on into the room, and she just needed a few minutes before she could join them. A few minutes later, her mom came back out to the hallway and asked her if she was ready. She said yes, and they walked in together. She went up to Kamisha's casket to say her goodbyes, and as soon as she looked at Kamisha, she turned to her mom and said, she's been shot in the head. In spite of the official story of Kamisha being shot once in the chest, she had a visible wound to her head. It had been filled in using mortician's wax but it was significantly darker and evident she had an injury there. Shanta's mom said, I know, we have to figure out what's going on. So they went back home and her mom 
started making phone calls, and she called their contact at the military. This was a woman who was supposed to help the family make sure everything was sorted, that the funeral was planned, that they got all Kamisha's belongings back. And this woman said she'd make some calls to find out what was going on. When she called back, she told them that she had more information, but she wanted to know if they really wanted to know it. They said they really wanted to know what had happened. That's when they learned that Kamisha had not been shot once. She had been shot five times. And she was shot by a man named Paul Brandon. It didn't immediately register to them that this was Paul Brandon Norris. They were just given the name Paul Brandon. The family talked it over, and they realized they were going to have to push for more information if they wanted it. And even then, how much could they trust the information? They had already been lied to once. But the family called back, and that's when they got the correct name, that it was Paul Brandon Norris. And that's when it occurred to them. This was the standoffish man Kamisha brought to lunch right before she left for Iraq. They were stunned because they knew the two were in a relationship. So if there was any attempt to still spin this as friendly fire, the family knew better. They knew that whatever happened was a domestic homicide. It took six months for the family to get any report on the shooting to find out what happened. They only got it because their local congressman intervened and demanded the Army produce the report. So much of it was redacted, but they did get something in February 2008. The Criminal Investigation Division of the Army, known as CID, went to talk to the family and go over the report. They'd say, turn to such and such page. Well, the blocks didn't have that page. Then CID would say, oh, we'll just read it to you. It seemed like half the pages were gone from the family's copy of the report. But between the report they did get and speaking with soldiers who served with Brandon and Kamisha, they've been able to piece together what happened that day. After Kamisha spoke to Shanta, she told a friend that things were going to change in her relationship with Brandon. Based on the tone and the use of an expletive, it sounded like Kamisha was very likely breaking up with Brandon. She was putting up some hard and fast boundaries. Early in the day, the squad headed out on a mission. Brandon wasn't supposed to go with the team. No one explained why, as far as a fellow soldier remembers, whether it was a mental thing or a physical thing, but he wasn't supposed to go. Shanta heard that Brandon had drawn his gun and shot at a third-party contractor at some point that day, possibly even hitting him, but it's not clear if that happened before or after the squad left for their mission. If it happened before, well, then clearly that's why they wouldn't let him go. But we don't know because, like I said, the family is getting pieces of information that they're fitting together like a puzzle. Anyway, Brandon either 
didn't know he wasn't supposed to go, or he purposely defied orders because he showed up, all geared up like he was going out with everyone. When he was told he wasn't going, another soldier said things got physical and the platoon leader had to hold him back. The squad, which included Kamisha, left. Brandon went to the base hospital complaining of heart issues, but it's not clear what the resolution to this was. They didn't admit him into the hospital because he was at a platoon meeting later in the afternoon. According to witnesses, he wasn't paying attention to the briefing. He seemed out of it. Around 5.40 in the evening, Brandon showed up at Kamisha's room. So the housing at Camp Liberty, let me explain this first. It is rows and rows of metal trailers. So to some degree, it looks like a mobile home park. But these trailers look almost more like storage containers than housing because they don't have any windows. Now, each trailer is divided into three 15 by 15 dorm-style rooms. They all have small air conditioners jutting out the back, and two soldiers would share each room. I'll post a picture on social media of what this looks like, or you guys can just Google Camp Liberty. Kamisha was in her room with her roommate, Danielle Jennings. Brandon knocked on the door and asked Danielle if he could have a minute alone with Kamisha. What happened next has been reported slightly differently in two different sources, one being a Maxim article called Love and Death in Iraq, and also an article on the website Stars and Stripes written by Rose L. Thayer. In the end, the order of events doesn't matter so much. So Danielle stepped outside the trailer so that Kamisha and Brandon could talk privately. Almost immediately, she heard Brandon screaming, and then she heard shots being fired. She threw open the door and yelled at him, what are you doing? Kamisha was physically okay at this point. Brandon had pointed his gun at her, but the shot or shots Danielle heard went into the wall. Kamisha was on her bed, sobbing and cowering. When Danielle barged in and yelled at him, Brandon turned and pointed the gun at Danielle. Danielle then ran for cover and ran for help. But by the time help came, Brandon had shot Kamisha five times and then shot himself once in the temple. He died instantly at the age of 30. The other slightly different version is when Danielle opened the door, Brandon had already shot Kamisha. Brandon then pointed the gun at Danielle, changed his mind, and shot himself. Either way it happened, this is absolutely horrifying and absolutely traumatic. I hope Danielle was able to get some help processing this. She witnessed a horrific thing. Treatment for PTSD, not always at the top of the military's to-do list, as we can see but I hope Danielle found what she needed. The medics who arrived at the scene went to work on Kamisha, who was barely hanging on. They said they did not render aid to Brandon because they were sure he was already dead. It was only a few minutes after getting Kamisha to the clinic that she died. Kamisha had just turned 20 years old. Four shots hit Kamisha in her chest and her shoulder. 
one hit her in the head. If Kamisha had only been shot in the chest, her family would have buried her, never knowing what really happened. They would have accepted the official explanation. It was only because they spotted the attempted fix for the gunshot wound to the side of her head that they realized they weren't getting the full story. The full story being that Kamisha was murdered by a man who had a known recent history of unstable and abusive behavior. So what went wrong here? That's what Kamisha's family wants to know. Brandon Norris is on a few sites listed as a fallen hero having died in Iraq, and I understand if people have trouble seeing him this way. I also have a hard time reconciling this. He abused and murdered a vibrant 20-year-old. But I've spent some time reading people's memories of Brandon, and it seems like we have two Brandons here. And now we see that in cases like this, where people just can't believe someone they know and loved killed someone else. But this is different because this is like one Brandon replaced the other entirely. Those who knew him before the army and those who served with him in Afghanistan remember a nice, genuine, sincere, hardworking man, a man who was focused on his job and was passionate about the military and about freedom and about justice. Then we have those who knew him after this, those who knew him at Fort Hood and those who knew him in this last tour of Iraq. They described him as hot-tempered, prone to violent outbursts. He was distant. He was distracted. A lot of these soldiers who knew him and Kamisha in Fort Hood and Iraq were actually hesitant to speak up while they were in the service. But since getting out, they have been more willing to come forward. So we have heard more of their stories. One soldier who saw Brandon the day of the murder said he didn't know why command let Brandon still have access to his gun based on the behavior this soldier was seeing. This is a big shift in behavior, major changes in behavior. There are two explanations for this. One, of course, is PTSD from his reported tours to combat zones, which would have caused altered mood and increased aggression. We know Brandon went to the hospital worried about heart problems. A lot of people having panic attacks think they're having a heart attack. But another possibility is steroid abuse. In Brandon's footlocker after his death, anabolic steroids were found. A tox screen was requested at the time of his death, but from the paper Shanta sent me, it says they didn't do it because there wasn't enough urine in his bladder which then makes me wonder why they didn't do a blood test. Regardless, symptoms of anabolic steroid abuse and use include altered mood, irritability, and increased aggression. They can cause an irregular heartbeat, which would jive with Brandon going to the hospital complaining about this. But since they released him without monitoring or treatment, as far as I can tell, my guess is it wasn't that. If he was having an irregular heartbeat, there would have been some follow-up. I lean towards the panic attack explanation. This is likely not an either-or scenario. A man with PTSD 
using anabolic steroids. Both could be contributing factors to Kamisha's murder and Brandon's suicide. There are articles out there talking about steroids being used to treat PTSD, but those are corticosteroids and neurosteroids, not anabolic steroids. As for what triggered Brandon's rage this particular day, based on statements Kamisha made, it seems likely that she was trying to break things off for good. But because I believe PTSD from his service was a serious contributing factor to Kamisha's murder, I don't see an issue with Brandon being on fallen heroes' websites. What does get to me, though, is that these fallen soldiers, fallen heroes lists, when they're published, Kamisha's name and Brandon Norris's names are right next to each other. Even the congressional record lists them next to each other. They were in the same platoon. They died on the same day within minutes of each other. I get why they're next to each other. But for the sake of two grieving families, can we just separate them by a few names? Seeing their names next to each other is not a pleasant experience for anyone. So what does Kamisha's family want now? Brandon killed Kamisha. Now he's dead. What's left? Well, the first thing they want is the truth. They've had issues with a few soldiers who would come forward and tell them something, but when the military would ask them directly about it, they'd backtrack a bit. They want that to stop. They want people to just open up honestly about what they know. And if they don't know something, then just say they don't know it. But the main thing they want is that those in command who knew about the relationship, knew about the abuse, and knew Brandon Norris was struggling with his mental health to be held accountable for not doing anything. They didn't take his weapon, they didn't put him in an office, and they didn't give him a therapist. They told him to stop hanging out with Kamisha. That was about it. The three people the family identified as being in command at the time have had their names redacted from pretty much all the reports. But the family knows who they are, and even met with them in their senator's office but they didn't get anywhere in the meeting. No one answered questions and everyone left frustrated. Two of these commanding officers are still in the army. One is a lieutenant colonel in Germany and the other is a sergeant major at Fort Hood. The third has since retired. At the time of Kamisha's murder, Brandon was his direct report. He told 12 News out of Beaumont, Texas, that Kamisha was brought into his office and, quote, given every opportunity to tell the truth, end quote. But he went on to say Kamisha denied she had a relationship with Brandon. She hid the relationship and abuse from command. I asked Shanta about this statement when I talked to her, and she said they have not seen a report from Kamisha being brought in, just the report from Brandon being brought in. They also have had a soldier from the platoon contact the family after he got out of the military to say he was ordered to shred specific files after Kamisha's death. He knew he shouldn't do it, but he was just following orders, and he contacted the family to apologize. Usually, this idea of covert shredding of documents gets more into the conspiracy realm than I'm comfortable with, But we already know there was an attempted cover-up here. That's a fact. 
it wasn't just Kamisha's family saying they were told it was a friendly fire situation. Right after the shooting, the Pentagon had confirmed to local papers that Kamisha was killed in a friendly fire incident. They knew she was murdered and they lied to the family and they lied to the media about it. The only reason the family learned the truth is because of that bullet wound to the head. So this idea that there were shredded or withheld or misplaced reports would not surprise me because they've already attempted to cover it up. So if Kamisha was spoken to and denied the affair, where is that report? If I was the military, that'd be the first one I'd send to the family and say, see, she didn't tell us. She lied about it. But they don't have that report. Is it possible that's not what she said? She didn't deny it? Or is it possible she was never talked to? So let's say she did deny it. Let's say what this guy says is 100% the truth. That's not proof of anything. If we have a commanding officer who doesn't know, one, that young soldiers will lie to get out of trouble, and two, that abused people don't always speak up, he should be retired. So now this retired commander, the direct supervisor over Brandon Norris, went on to tell 12 News, and I'm not even kidding here, this is what he said, that two people did something illegal in the army and now they have to live with the consequences. Based on the context of this statement, it's not entirely clear who they are. Kamisha and Brandon are rather famously not living. Maybe he misspoke or just used a common expression without thinking about what he was saying. Or it's possible the they he was referring to was Kamisha's family, saying that they have to live with the consequences. But regardless, this is some real victim-blaming nonsense. Even if Kamisha lied about dating Brandon, that is not a death penalty offense. Breaking a rule about dating someone of a different rank does not lead to death. That's not a reasonable or a logical progression of that decision. A court-martial, a reassignment, those are consequences Kamisha would have had to live with. Being shot five times is not a reasonable consequence. I don't for one second accept the answer that this was a consequence of an illicit love affair. That mentality tells me that this person does not understand the bigger picture. And this person is one of the three people who could have intervened when soldiers were complaining about the relationship and when Brandon's mental health was obviously deteriorating. As I said, best for everyone that he's retired. What this murder was a consequence of, in my opinion, is Brandon's untreated PTSD, his anabolic steroid abuse, and his commander's choice not to do anything about it. How many times do we send a man to a combat zone before we decide his brain can't take it anymore? Brandon was in Bosnia during the aftermath of that war three times. Afghanistan, for a year, third time in Iraq. He was 30 years old. 30 years old. And he had been 
to war zones multiple, multiple times. Now, this situation, it reminds me of a book I read. Years ago, I read the book Voices from Chernobyl, which is a collection of firsthand accounts of people who were at Chernobyl with the nuclear meltdown. The government there just kept throwing people at the cleanup. As those people got sick from the radiation, they were just replaced by new bodies. Is that what we, as in the U.S., is that what we did to Brandon Norris? We just kept throwing him into these situations until he was so sick that he broke. After his and Kamisha's bodies were returned to their families, new soldiers were sent out to take their places with these same policies in place, these same procedures in place. That's not good enough. I'm sure all of those commanders served for the same reason Kamisha and Brandon enlisted. They were patriotic. They wanted to protect our country. They wanted to make a difference. But somewhere along the line, they stopped seeing Brandon and Kamisha and whoever else as individual people. They didn't see Kamisha as a person in danger or Brandon as a dangerous person. Soldiers deserve support as individual human beings, not cogs in a machine who get replaced when they break. We still have so many grieving people right now, 12 years down the road. Brandon's daughter is a teenager now, growing up without her father. His parents had four children. Now they only have one single surviving son after they lost their daughters, and then Brandon, less than five years apart. And what a complicated legacy they have had to grapple with. Brandon's life and the man they knew doesn't align with how his life ended, or with the nightmare he inflicted on Kamisha and her family. I sincerely hope that his family has, in their own way, found some sort of peace. And then we have Kamisha's family. Her mother fought for years for changes in policy and for the commanders to be held accountable so this wouldn't happen again. Eventually, the constant stress took a toll on her physical health. Shanta had to take over the fight. And by keeping Kamisha's story out there and networking with people, Shanta finally met the right person at the right time. In early 2019, the military reopened the investigation into Kamisha's murder. Obviously, the person who killed her is dead. So what they're looking at now, finally, is the whole picture. They are looking to see if command should have handled things differently. This information and holding people accountable can help bring the policy and procedure change that Kamisha's family wants. Shanta was told that this is the first time the Army has ever reopened a closed homicide investigation. So this is a big win. The investigation is, however, still being run by CID, which is the same group that did the initial investigation. So Shanta and her family, they want a little bit more. They want a congressional hearing. They want a fully public investigation with public testimony. They know a lot of former soldiers who are now willing to testify to what they saw and what they told command regarding Kamisha Block and Brandon Norris. Kamisha died at the hands of a fellow soldier who showed signs of deteriorating mental health. We owe it to Kamisha 
a woman who willingly enlisted during wartime to serve our country to look at every single one of the strings that led to that moment in her room, every single thing that led to Brandon Norris murdering her. Because if we don't identify what happened, how do we stop it from happening again? Let this be Kamisha's legacy, that changes are made to better protect the men and women who serve our country.